Hello and welcome to the next episode of Left Inside. I'm Paul Murphy, your host for this week. Uh, we're joined by Sami El Syed. Hello. Philomena Foster. Hi. Better known as Phil. As we'll see as the episode continues. And uh, Dave, David Murphy. Hello. Better known as Dave. Topics for this week are going to include the government's plan to target lone parents and low-paid workers with a cut in the €350 Euro so-called pandemic unemployment payment. Uh, Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael's plans for government and their plan to make the Greens a eco-mudguard for that right-wing government. Um, but first of all, we have to talk about the Black Lives Matter protests. Phil and me are literally just back. It's Friday, the 12th of June when we're recording. We're just back from taking a knee at the square at the protests. Um, can you tell us how it went, Phil? How it went was there was a good few people there. and We're talking to one woman in particular that came along and just saw it basically on Facebook and like she has uh, relations that are black and she said the reason why she came down she said if they were in america what would happen to them you know and she felt obligated to come down and show support and solidarity and really taking a knee is all about solidarity too uh black lives matter you know i mean one of the things like i, I was on facebook live when we were doing it and some of the comments i mean <laughs> one person so jess was um uh, who people have heard on the podcast before. She's from America. She was, you know, speaking and someone's like, she's not even Irish. Um, so there's a lot of, like, I mean, there's racism around it, but there's also confusion and stuff around um, Black Lives Matter. There's a lot of, I mean, some of orchestrated far-right stuff um, whenever you say anything about Black Lives Matter, but there's also definitely uh, confusion. So maybe someone could explain why it's important that we stand in solidarity with Black Lives Matter. Like, the reality is that all around the world, but particularly in the US, black people suffer very like severe discrimination, abuse. They are in favor of, they're in fear of their lives uh, quite often just doing routine things that we wouldn't even think of. If someone here was pulled over by the guards, for example, they probably wouldn't be afraid of someone getting of of their getting shot and killed by the by the guardie. Uh, that's not to say the guardie are all that good, but it's to say that there is like a real problem that uh, African American black people are, are facing in the United States, but also that people in Ireland face, like the 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 black people in Ireland face real severe discrimination as well, in all sorts of capacities and actually it's about connecting those two movements and solidarity or just uh together you know yeah i think um that like in ireland there's two types like there's there, there is racism like and i think the clear one for most people is um around direct provision like where this is a clearly racist policy and it's following well it's continuation of but it's also following on from the citizenship referendum in 2004 so like that is institutionalized racism within the state and I think that people, like, I think people can see that. And I think people are, like, generally opposed to that. Um, but I think there's the other side to it then. And I think this is the side that comes out on Facebook. And um, so you have the far right have weaponized this um, in Ireland and, and online. They're trying to create a narrative. And I think that's the ground where um, people involved in the movement and people on the left need to engage and win people away from those arguments. 
And I think that's where you see this like all lives matter type thing coming in. Um, and I think that's the that's the bit like we're not it's not saying like oh your life doesn't matter like it's um of course everybody's life matters like you may have like economic problems because you're you know you're like me you go to a job you hate you get crap wages but it you're never being further oppressed because of the color of your skin and that's the oppression that Black Lives Matter is talking about and people should stand in solidarity with that instead of pitting their own you know like their own oppressions against it i saw a good tweet the other day which said that um saying all lives matter in response to black lives matter is like there's a house on fire on your street and the fire engine comes and puts the fire out of the house on fire and you're like why didn't you spray my house with with water as well you know the point is that like black lives are under specific threat in the u.s the statistics really bear that out um, but I, I do think a factor is I mean there was a really interesting graph in New York Times during the week talking about the change in attitudes to Black Lives Matter and now a majority of Amer- American people support the protests oppose Trump's approach to the protests and support the idea of Black Lives Matter but that's changed because you've had mass movements um, I mean this current movement is huge but even I mean six years ago was Ferguson and you've had a series of movements and that, that has changed people's attitudes and unfortunately, in Ireland, we haven't had that level of movement yet to switch attitudes, like you saw in terms of repeal, for example, where movements, people on the streets did shift people in the direction of being uh, pro-choice. I think, too, on um, Facebook, there's quite a lot of, um, you know, this saying, um, I'm not racist, but you get quite a lot of that. Greg was talking to one of his uh, worker colleagues in work and they were having a discussion about this. And he was saying, but you look at all the people we brought in, you know, from uh, wherever. And he said, yeah, they were war-torn countries, but sure, they get the houses and all. And he said, well, tell me exactly where they get the houses. I can tell you for sure they actually don't. Actually, they're put in uh, direct provision, as Dave said. And like, I was listening to a programme last night, I think it was on the news or after the news or something. There was uh, a journalist talking to one of these frontline workers that was in direct provision and working in a home. And she has to wash her uniform, she had two uniforms, back to a room, isolate for two hours. Where does she go to do that? Nowhere to do it. She's in a room with uh, three other people. Wash her uniform, go back to work, uh, no cooking facilities or anything. Who the fuck thinks she wants to be here doing that? She wants to be in her own country. Like, but what do you do when other countries are bombing your fucking house down and raping your land so they can take what they want and they have nowhere to go fucking back to? Like, you know, what I'd say to them is like, you know, if this if this happened to you and you had to feck off out of here, where mm-hmm. would you go? As, as it did to a lot of Irish people for economic reasons were forced to emigrate. Exactly. It did. Yeah. But listen, they need to be reminded of that. Like, what have happened now? You know? So, there's my answer to that, anyway. Well, like, there's really multiple aspects to this, uh, in terms of, like, people who oppose or are critical of the, the Black Lives Matter movement in Ireland. 
there's like the idea that while people it's not safe for people to protest we've got this pandemic going on i think those are legitimate concerns like a lot of the same people are the ones though who deny that the coronavirus exists like just two weeks ago you know yes exactly yeah it's it's very it's very much they're flip-flopping to, to, to suit whatever conspiracy is suiting them at the mm-hmm. at the moment in time but there is a section of people who are quite genuine about like well they support the cause but not the protest uh, in and of itself and i think like there's there's a certain point to that because the left, you know, for a whole period of time, we were the biggest champions of this, you know, the lockdown and so on in a safe way. And then we kind of pivoted to supporting these mass protests. Uh, but, like, there is a big, there is a, it's kind of missing the forest for the trees to focus on this protest, right? Because, yeah, sure, maybe people could get sick as a result of the going on a protest. But what you have is people in the meat factories and workplaces and like, shopping malls now, shopping centers, like, loads of people in cramped indoor conditions will be getting each other sick and the media in Ireland in particular has done a huge disservice uh to to like public health by focusing on this protest not focusing on on workplaces it really has i mean one of the things that kind of gets to me on social media is well two things two things get to me on social media only um (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> <laughs> really loads of things get to me in social media but we'll do another episode on the all the other things um but one of them is that um people are like why aren't you ever talking about the meat factories why don't why don't you talk about the nursing homes do you know and like these are the people who are on my facebook page so presumably know that we are precisely the people doing those things right that's one set of people but the other set of people actually it's, it's more interesting in a way they're like I don't understand why you're jumping on this bandwagon. Why don't you stick to fighting for workers' rights? Why don't you stick for standing up for people here for the pandemic, unemployment payment, etc.? And people think it's like, oh, like, you know, Paul's a really good fighter on these issues for ordinary working class people. But then for some weird reason, he has this interest in like obscure issues of oppression or the environment or whatever. And they don't realise that like the reason that socialists are good at fighting for working class people um, in Ireland on economic issues now around pandemic unemployment payment, around the meat factories, around the nursing homes, is because precisely we're socialists and we stand against the capitalist system and all forms of oppression. And we know that the only way to overthrow that system is by working class people standing together. And the only way to build that unity is that we all stand against each other's oppression. And like e- even on a very basic level, that being in solidarity with each other helps. It helped us when people came from Detroit during the water charges battle, who were predominantly black people. Detroit is a predominantly black city. They came to Ireland and they ex- talked about what happens with water privatization and they helped our struggle. And we should stand in solidarity with their struggles because we actually genuinely help each other by doing that. Actually, I was at that uh, meeting up in Jobstown. I met them all from Detroit. And they wanted to walk around the area as well, like just to see what the area was like. But like the stories you heard was, you know, one in one house, like they only have water and in the other house they have um, uh, some food and like they get all the kids into one house where there's plenty of water. We'll pay for the water on the road for this week and whatever, you know. So they were saying they were they're actually saying, do not let this happen. Do not let them make you pay for water, you know. Uh, so yeah, solidarity with one another, and I think that's what what people don't get is that it's really not one issue. It's actually the rotten, scummy system that's capitalism that is ruining everything for them. You know, and there is a better way, and that's what we're trying to 
tell them but like yeah that i think that's where the sort of one issue comes from you know so in, in terms of where this started i mean it, it started a very long time ago in terms of the historic oppression of black people and u.s capitalism being built on on slavery but starting in the recent weeks um has anyone watched the the video of the the murder of of george floyd i did unfortunately yes i don't see i don't see how anyone can watch that video and not want to stand in solidarity with uh, the protests in America. I think this isn't even the first time that uh, the murder of a, a black per- a black person by a police officer has been recorded. There's been numerous. There's been numerous uh, different ones, but I think that this went on for so long, for I think nine and a half minutes, that there was people telling the cops to get off his neck, that he was screaming out for his mother. And it's just, it's absolutely horrific. And I think anyone who watches that and then doesn't feel like the injustice of it and want to actually do something about it, you have to question, you know, like, well, what will make them want to do something about anything? And you have to really think, like, those kind of people that are, like, so kind of self-centered and, like, this this idea of human empathy and, like, you know, dignity and, like, compassion and so on, there's, there's completely alien to them. And you have to realise, like, how miserable must their lives be? Like, really, uh, you just have this real, this negative view of everything, all these struggles, which are actually really inspiring. Like, look at what's happening over in the United States at the moment. Uh, you have this hor- horrific police brutality, police murder, uh, this authoritarianism by Trump, but you have this massive resistance to it. And you, if you if you have this real cynical mindset where you just don't care about these people, and, like, all you're going to see is the bad stuff, and you'll be unhappy all the time. Uh and this kind of links a bit to this idea of, like, all lives matter. Uh, this idea, like, if you say black lives matter, then you're somehow saying that, well, my life doesn't matter. And me being the self-centered person that I am, I don't care uh, about black lives. I care about my life. And it's kind of like, well, no, not everything's about you, you know? that <laughs> The world's a big place. You're not always special. Uh, they're, they're, like, lots of people... Uh, have struggles that we should care about because they do affect us somewhere down the line, even if it's not immediately apparent. There, there's the struggle of, um, you know, people going back to work, the pup being taken off them. Your man from, there's another struggle, like people that you ought to connect the struggles together, you know. We have an awful lot of people that are going back to work that are going, aren't going to be getting um, uh, as much money as they were on it, you know. And probably working in horrendous conditions as well. With a hell of a lot of people coming in. Like, the, I, I saw, the, I don't know if anybody saw the um, video of your man, owns, owner of Supermax, Pat McDonough, with um, frontline workers, shoppers. There was a video, one picture beside the other. Who do we need most? I don't know if anybody saw that. Like, so it was a dividing picture. And it was him holding up a drink and cheered and bloody fucking millionaire. And then you had in the next uh, picture, uh, frontline workers, nur- nurses, doctors, and uh, shopkeepers, and that, and who are the frontline workers? Basically, who do we need? And underneath it, it said, "Who do you think we need most?" You know, Pat McDonough wouldn't have all that money if he hadn't got the workers. You know, there, uh, and the whole thing about it is, there's more of us than there is of them, and that went for the water charges for appeal. For bin charges, we proved that we can. If we work together, we can actually do it. So that's solidarity in itself as well, you know. I, I do think that, um, I think the coronavirus is a 
part and the lockdown and everything else it's a part of why things have been so explosive around the movements around black lives matter in the u.s i mean so like black people have um died you know at a significant disproportionate higher rate because of uh, as a result of coronavirus um and and you have this like you know, explosion of a movement, but also I think in in Ireland, I mean, it is like we've we've talked a little bit about the negatives of like the reaction of a section of white people and so on, but you've had you know big, spontaneous movements of people of color in Ireland, um, with thousands of people coming out to the streets and like it does like place onto the agenda in Ireland the question of the abolition of direct provision, the question of state racism, the question of racism uh, generally. Um, and I think like does lay the basis for substantial movements to be built here that will also change um, people's attitudes. But I think like one of the times like we've been involved in campaigns in the communities for like years and years. And one of the things that you get is that people, like it's like the point that Sammy was saying that people think it doesn't affect them. But then every so often you'll meet somebody at a certain stage. They don't care about whatever campaign you're involved in. But then something that they see as an injustice to themselves happens. And then they want to show solidarity with everybody else for every other issue. And that's something that people have to like sort of learn for themselves. I think like one of the best examples that I remember personally was on the day of the marriage equality referendum. There was people in communities like in working class areas voted 90% plus in favour of it. And we were at the shops in uh in time in here and like one woman said to a fella, I voted for you today, like so she recognised that he had a specific oppression. She stood in solidarity and she went out and voted uh for him. And I think that's the type of sol- that's like what solidarity means. And that's like like when people are looking at Black Lives Matter, they shouldn't be saying like, Oh well, that means my life doesn't matter. It's like, well no, these people have a specific oppression and you stand in solidarity against them. But I think like one that like when Phil was talking about Pat McDonough there, I think like the position of workers, uh, like to powerful people. But I think like the position of Trump, like Trump, like you know, like the position of the U.S. president, the most powerful person in the world, etc. Uh, but I think he's made been made to look really, really weak by this, and he's, you know, tr- thrown out threats about the army, which he's been making for a few weeks now, and I think it's just made him look like move further to the right but also to look particularly weak in terms of his reaction and that he's not actually as powerful as he lets on well i think in that regard like what matters is not really that he is you know actually sending in the army is that like his supporters think he's going to and that like mobilizes his base you know but well he doesn't realize that he can mobilize his base as much as he wants but he's currently alienating the vast majority of of the country increasingly so uh and like there's actually you know, his increasingly hardened right-wing base isn't really uh, going to win him anything, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so to take that example of uh, Trump and, you know, Trump plays divide and rule. Um, Trump maybe doesn't represent the, like, core far-seeing sections of capitalism within the US. Like, they'd prefer a Democrat, to be honest. They'd prefer Joe Biden. Um, but at the same time, he... he He's a capitalist. Um, he's pro capitalism. He's pro the billionaires. He represents the oil companies, etc., etc. Um, they they do use racism, like Dave is saying, to divide and rule ordinary people in order to be able to lower wages and conditions. Um, it isn't like the only cause of racism. You know what I mean? The cause of racism isn't just some like ingenious thing by the ruling class or whatever. That like 
there's like the historic nature of oppression in in US built on slavery etc cetera, etc cetera. but it is like a factor and it is like you know pe- people should stand against racism because like racism is wrong and they should stand in solidarity with other people for the reasons like for the kind of general reasons that have been given but even on a basic like economic level of people's own class interest um in a very narrow way even they should stand against racism they should stand against division it's like the classic example we might have talked about it before is the gamma strike where workers um turkish workers took strike action when workers consciousness generally was raised that there's a way out of a race at the bottom which isn't based on division between people but on standing together and fighting for improved workers working conditions for everybody yeah and i think like that's one of the things that like you say to people you say does that person having less rights actually materially improve your position or is the person that's actually you know like affecting your position not the like the black person or the or the immigrant that lives near you or works with you but it is actually the boss and i think like that's like the key that's like the key thing in society and i think like it's easier for people to like punch down as they say you know um rather than say well look i'm like myself as an individual i'm in the weaker position here and i can only actually challenge my weaker position by getting organized with other people and I think, like, if people just keep going on, like, falling into the trap of dividing and of like dividing rule, like, you're just playing into the the hands of the the ruling class. And you may think it's great that you're going around, you know. Well, I don't know why you would think it was great going around restricting other people's rights, like, you know, or supporting the restriction of other people's rights. But it's it's um, like it's just a losing game all around. That's a very good point, Dave. You know, who who the hell thinks they're better than anybody else that they deserve more than somebody else? You know. I think that that's something that people ought to be asking themselves all the time on a constant basis to make them wake up, you know. There's a famous speech by um, Martin Luther King about eating Jim Crow that like, you know, the the boss, the capitalist didn't pay the white worker, you know, high wages. He didn't have anything to eat. But the idea is you give him the racism, you give him the sense of like, well, he's one up on the black slave or like, completely oppressed black worker and that he, he, he eats Jim Crow but Jim Crow doesn't actually feed him is the point Jim Crow actually facilitates in like his wages being kept low and so on I think that's another thing too that should have been told a long time ago the real history about what slaves were from years ago as well you know I have this piece I keep it on my phone I've, I, I was in shock actually when I saw it it's about um, Phoenix Park Zoo. I don't know if anybody's seen it. For anybody out there that hasn't seen it, look it up. It's just horrendous. Where they took tribes from Africa and put them in a sort of a a pound, like in Dublin Zoo in the 1800s. And they were describing what they looked like, what the women looked like, how they were feeding their children, how they done a dance, you know. Holy shit, like. And it was long ago, but it wasn't that long ago either, you know. They they were doing that in countries like Belgium up until the nineteen sixties. Like it's it's uh, crazy, uh, keeping them in uh, uh, human zoos. I think what they were called. Uh, and I I think it's like the the point that they is made and other people made. Like actually, even if you know you're not like anti-racist in some kind of principle way of like oh I think all racism is bad. It is objectively against your own interests to have like racism in your society because if if ordinary working class people are split along racist lines, it becomes very easy for a boss to use one against the other to undermine the whole working class. Uh, and actually, divide and conquer, divide and rule. And it's it's 
you know, really just it's so transparent, really, when you get right down to it. Once you once you come to that realization, it kind of so many things become much clearer to you in terms of actually how do you why should you fight racism? How should you fight racism? And why is racism even a thing? What's its basis in society? Uh, but also, I think in this conversation so far, we've kind of left out one very important community in, in, in Ireland that kind of deserves a mention. That's the traveling community uh, who have suffered real this vicious uh, discrimination for decades and decades and decades uh, that they are marginalized in all aspects of society. They're discriminated against in work and education, uh, culturally, uh, in, in housing, all that kind of stuff. I think like it'd be it'd be remiss if we didn't at least give them a mention, like and and highlight that that's that is you know in many senses like the Black Lives Movement of Ireland. So it's, it's the Black Lives Matter movement of Ireland. Is travelers' lives matter? You know that's a real important thing, and it's important that we build a broad based anti racist movement to that effect. One of the horrific things there is that it, it's also the it is the form of most widely accepted racism. You know, there's there's people out there who think they're, like, progressive and, like, you know, up with the latest whatever and, like, maybe, I don't know, maybe support Black Lives Matter, but are, like, quite deeply prejudiced uh, against travellers. And is that thing, you know, the way people, like, people at the moment are like, you know, Eamon Ryan doesn't have a racist bone in his body, right? And I'm not, I'm not getting into the Eamon Ryan question, but, like, to be honest, most of us in Ireland have racist bones in our bodies, if you want to divide it into our bones, because, like, it's just, it's there in society. We're in a racist society, and it affects how people view others, and it needs to be really consciously struggled against um, within the settled community, within the white community, etc., to recognise this racism that exists, that comes from this racist society that we live in. And I agree 100% in terms of, yeah, I mean, it's just, it's horrific um the racism against travelers both the individual racism but the state uh racism um and discrimination and i think it's it, the hypocrisy really shows itself with the likes of josepha madigan you know doing the minute silence for george floyd mm-hmm. she built her entire political career on racism against travelers like it's real just horrific stuff like you know when she requested the minute silence when she wrote to the business committee in the doll she said uh, oh we should have a minute silence for george floyd yeah grand obviously we agree with that and then she said, and I think I should make a few comments about racism in Irish society. So she wanted a few comments for herself to put herself on a pedestal, given out about racism, when, like, exactly as Sammy said, she was elected on the basis of a racist approach. Well, get over yourself, because nobody's listening to you. I can tell her that. Definitely. Okay, will, will we um, move on? I, I wanted to also talk about, um, he was, uh, I wanted to talk about Pat McDonough, Supermax uh, chief man, um, I think the man who invented garlic curry chips or something, apparently, this is the kind of entrepreneurial spirit of the capitalist class in Ireland. Um, and the man who declared that, um, you know, getting the, un- the pandemic unemployment payment is the equivalent to winning the lotto. And when challenged, he said, well, yeah, it'd be the same as like, you know, a, a local GAA lotto. Like he actually tried to claim that. But obviously, like kind of front ended the assault on the pandemic unemployment payment. And then a week later, the government announces that now they're going for two different pandemic unemployment payment. And so if you were previously earning less than 200 euros before the pandemic in your wages, and it looks like regardless of what you're getting on social welfare, now you're going to have pandemic unemployment is going to be cut to 203 euros from the end of, of June. So what, what are they up to? Well, bluntly speaking, it's it's starving people back to, to work in low-paid jobs and unsafe jobs, really, uh, in the context of employers not properly having social distance workspaces uh, or 
really uh, the the not being facilities for you know customers or workers to, to socially distance and interact safely. Uh, so it's really just about you know really hyper exploitative wages uh, and the government needing to slash welfare rates to force people to work in those conditions. Yeah, I think that's clearly it and that they want that they've realized there's a situation now where people have seen how low their wages are compared to what's actually needed to live but also that they've for decades have had people who have been out of work on like just survival ration you know like if you think about the normal level of social welfare payment uh, of i think 201 now or 202 uh, and then you, you were they recognized that you know, people need more than that to actually live. So they they, they gave this uh three hundred and fifty, uh. But they obviously want to, you know, it goes against our whole model of a low wage economy, uh, of you know precarious work to have like, you know, a social security net that that is of that level that you know it recognizes people need that much money to actually survive, because it's not just like under it's not just like exposing like the normal social welfare doll payment. It's also exposing like how low wages are. Like I think that doesn't actually do them any favors when you think of people like Pat McDonough paying, you know, charging his own staff to wear the uniform, charging his own staff. Like it's for every shift they do, they get charged. I think a euro or fifty cents, or maybe one fifty, uh, for food. It's a certain amount per hour for lunch, isn't it? Yeah, it's like ten cent or twenty cent an hour. Even if you don't eat anything. Yeah, whether they eat the food or not, like, you know. And I mean, Pat McDonough, a guy who just basically robbed the McDonald's idea. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> Called the supermarket. <laughs> How dare you undermine our entrepreneurial king, Pat McDonough. Dave, shame on you. Paul, there was a whole court case over this, okay? I think it's, it's a settled question. <laughs> he took McDonald's to court, as far as I know. McDonald's took him to court. Oh. <laughs> yeah. What's the name of the restaurant, Dave and Dunleary? That I can't remember, like, that came over from England. Is it Weatherspoons? Weatherspoons, yeah. He's the same. The owner is the same. It was all over Facebook saying nobody, everybody should uh, definitely not go. He's decided he's going to pay less wages, let a few go. It's like them all, basically. It's like, keep them poor, keep them like they have to work, give them small wages. Like, right now, the state, the public, is paying all of these people's, like, bills all, all of their staff bills we're paying wages for everybody um pat mcdonough is not paying his own workers out of any money that's raised in supermax right now well we, we've been paying 85 percent of people's wages and they've maybe been topping them up by the last 15 percent. so there's huge amounts of corporate welfare going on i mean they don't have to prove any inability to pay anything like that they can just take that so i mean it takes a cheek really to then try and like go after people who are on the pandemic unemployment payment precisely in order to kind of lower the wage uh, floor but if, if you look at like what they're doing so like i think people need to be prepared to say the pandemic the level of the pandemic pandemic unemployment payment should be defended like that this is the first thing if people saw i uh, heard i think it was Anne rabbit uh the fianna fall td on the radio a couple of weeks ago and she she didn't say something as outrageous as um pat mcdonough but she said like oh it's, it's way too high it's way too high and it's like the idea people are like you know the undeserving poor like you know she said people were a hell of a lot better off on the pandemic unemployment plan it was pretty bad and then and then she was in the doll i mean i don't know maybe she did suffer some abuse so i'm not but she was in the doll giving out about abuse on social media 
and making that the story as opposed to, well, she abused all these people on the pandemic unemployment payment on national radio. Do you know what I mean? You talk about people like that, what do you expect? Like, you know, these are people that are keeping the country going. Like, it's something that never really fails to shock me about these kind of establishment figures, both like in politics, but also in the media, that like they can write this really this horrible stuff about people all the time they say all these horrible stuff people all the time and people are like well you shouldn't be saying that that's really that's really not nice and they cry about it like they cry about how offended and how attacked they are because people are criticizing their odious like idiotic shit uh and that's really just it drives me crazy really to, to see that and you know what i will feel for Anna rabbit you know the poor baby you know going out attacking the poor people on welfare and then getting some blowback wow Cry me river like uh, I I love that like that alone living on three hundred fifty euros a week. I'd like to see her living two hundred and three, uh, because that's really what she wants. Uh, all these people to be living on. I mean, w- one of the aspects of this that I think is interesting to look at is the classic case of government and media spin around the pandemic unemployment payment to create a narrative and then go for the attack. And I, I think it had an impact. So they they there was one line in a government um report which said thirty eight percent of people are better off. Uh, with the pandemic unemployment payment than they were before. There was no facts or figures to back it up, um, but that was put out there. And then it was upon that basis that Anne Rabbit was talking about people being a hell of a lot better off. That was the Pat McDonough thing, etc. We, we've done parliamentary questions and we've got the answers and have done press statements and stuff demonstrating that it's not true, what they're saying about 38%. And then we did more research last week which demonstrated that there's a bunch of people who'll be a lot worse off, lone parents in particular. People will go from having 400 euros before the pandemic to just over 200 euros now. I mean, that's fuel poverty. That's not being able to pay uh, your your rent. But basically, the narrative has been established that some people are a lot better off and, you know, and they have managed to establish it and we have a big job to do to try and turn that around. And, and I did think that, like, it was unfortunate that in a week and a half ago, whenever this came out, everyone should have taken the line of no cuts to the pandemic unemployment payment whatsoever. But unfortunately, the Shinner, Sinn Féin line was to say um, kind of no cuts in general, but of course any anomalies should be dealt with. And so gave in to the idea that there are some people who are a lot better off and therefore it needs to be adjusted. So on the one hand, they were saying positively, which we would agree with, you know, people over 65 should get it, people under 18 should get it. But then they also, in a number of interviews, gave ground to the idea that like students who were part-time, who were less than that, who were better off, also should have their amount reduced. And I just, one that creates an inequity because those part-time students might be part-time January, February, but might be full-time in the summertime and depend on, on that money but two it just gives ground to their narrative and we, we should you don't gain points with that you lose points you need to stand resist everyone stand together fight for the 350 to be extended to everybody other people on social welfare etc there's a bigger point to be made here as well about like you know if people are better off in the pandemic unemployment payment what does it actually say about our society what's the crime yeah uh, and like so what if they are better off how many people is that really even but also if those people are worse off or better off on the pandemic unemployment payment that means before that they were getting less of 350 euros a week to live on that's, that's not a lot like you know and if they're working people they should be getting at least a living wage you know it's it's really not much too much to ask for uh so i think it's it's uh it's kind of this narrative where they've gotten they've done the spin where loads of people all these people are better off under the pandemic unemployment payment 
and then they try to do another spin on top of that, that that's actually a bad thing for those people like that's their fault that they're better off under the pandemic unemployment payment as opposed to their employer's fault that you know they pay them so low uh, wages and it just shows like there's a real kind of neoliberal kind of race to the bottom low wage model that irish capitalism is, is built on it's just like not sustainable for working class people even in the, the mildest crisis i thought it was very good paul when you asked Varadkar in the doll, I think. I think it was last week, I'm not too sure. Do you think that's right? Would you be able to live on 380 or whatever it was? Uh, and he just didn't know what to say for a few seconds. And then all of a sudden he said, well, it's, it's all to do with the job you do. Well, Varadkar, what kind of a job are you doing? You're not doing it properly, like, come here. But but that that's the thing that's been exposed here, isn't it? Like... Um, if you look at there was a new report out today um, about work in Ireland and like this whole crisis has exposed who the essential workers are, who the people who make society work are. And it's not Pat McDonough and his 320 million. It's not, um, you know, Michael O'Leary. It's like the people in the lowest paid jobs, people in the like uh, health services, people in the public sector who have like essentially kept society running, kept it, kept it going while... All these people have sat around, and I think that's why they want to have this thing about like cut the pe- cut the pandemic payment, to try and shift the blame back onto like worker versus worker, and then to prepare for austerity coming in. Like you know, they won't be able to say, "Oh, we all partied this time," like they did the last crash. So they'll have to say, "Oh, well, you know, we looked after everybody," you know, um, and I think like that's just like we looked after everyone, and then you're looking at the fellow who works part time down the road from you saying. Uh, we have to have all this austerity because you were living it up for eight weeks during the pandemic. Like, you know, <laughs> yeah. um, it's just... It, on 350 euros On your 350, it, it doesn't make sense. But I think this is this this is an image of where they're going, you know? This is the start of significant austerity to make us pay. That's what the next government uh, has in store for us. I mean, we, we were planning to be discussing the programme for government on today's uh, episode because it had been reported that it would be out on Thursday or Friday, but obviously it's been delayed. They're saying it'll have it over the weekend. So we, we might do a special episode next week whenever um, that comes out. But for the moment, can, can someone set out where we're at with those government negotiations? What are the key issues that have been highlighted um, so far, what are the supposed points of disagreement or whatever and what's going to happen? So, from what I can tell, uh, obviously I'm not in the negotiating room, uh, but from what I can tell, the sticking points seem to be around the question of the, the national herd of cattle uh, and then the the yearly emissions uh, like reduction targets where the Green Party, I think, started on 8% uh, a year and then... Uh, Fianna Gael and Fianna Fáil kind of negotiated them down to 7% a year on average, and now we're trying to push it further to 6.5% a year on average. Uh, and the key word there is on average, which means they can do fuck all for like all their entire government, and then with the plan of doing everything, like cutting their emissions by 30% in the last year, uh, which isn't real. Uh, plan in, in quotation marks, by the way. like Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, and then there's... And there's a kind of the side show, which is stuff like direct provision, which sections of the Green Party are standing quite hard on. They think it's quite important for it to be abolished and fair play to them. Uh, so I think that that's another issue, which uh, is a sticking point. But I'm not sure if they're really going to not go into government or direct provision or not, you know. So that's kind of the state of play that I think the, the, the final sticking point is the, the years per the 
emissions reductions target. You know? I think too that the young greens are not fairly happy about it at all. I was just reading up about it that they were wanted to, they want to have their conference. They want to know the whole deal of what they're going in with, um, to know exactly what's happening. And the majority of them seemingly don't agree with it. But I think what's going to resonate resonate with a hell of a lot of people is the carbon tax, which we, um, I mean, and what the fuck is that going to do? That's not going to help climate change in any shape or form. Or... When you think about it in like as a whole, Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael coming together as a government after the election, after coronavirus will be immediately hated, like, you know, um, and you'll have the Greens in there with them. And they're having this chat around whether we'll do the austerity in the first half or we'll do it in the second half of the government, you know. And, like, if you're in the Green Party, you have the experience, or maybe you're, you you weren't in the Green Party at the time, you have the experience of 10 years ago. You look at that, you go, they went in with all these high hopes, all these ambitions, and straight away they were forced to, like, shelve everything and then implement austerity, you know, and implement policies that were anti, anti-environment, like anti uh or pro climate change, and you're gonna go and repeat that again, like you know. But that's, I find it incredible that like the political commentators can seriously preach that like really the only thing the Greens can do for their own political survival now is go into government, and that's that's like a mantra, and there there is no basis in history in Irish politics whatsoever to back up that idea. There is no evidence of any small political party going into coalition with a right-wing party, uh, you know, major party, Fianna Fáil or Fianna Gael, and ending up, like, well out of it. It always goes badly. And... What are you talking about? The Labour Party has done great. <laughs> <laughs> like, and, and but still, they all repeat it as if it's the common sense that, like, of course they have to go in. Anything else would be madness. And, like, I made a speech during the week in the doll making the point that, like, if they go in, it's a big setback for the environmental movement. Because it'll try, it'll try to be sold as the crisis is so much, which we agree with. We have to go in. We have to go in. But it will set things back because it will precisely... The Fianna Fáil, Fine Gael will be so happy to say, you know, we'd love not to do the carbon tax. We'd love not to do austerity. But, you know, that's the environment. They will use it to, like, eco-austerity everything and damage the environmental movement. And there is an alternative. The alternative is to fight now with the socialist left and to build movements for... A Green New Deal with socialist policies for free public transport, for investment in green jobs, to improve people's lives while tackling climate change um, and win victories on some of those things and prepare the way for a left-wing government with an eco-socialist programme. I think that's important because like, there is like a wing in the Greens and within like, you know, the media who see to achieve any change you need to go into government. And I think like, that's going to be a strong argument that I think the likes of Eamon Ryan are going to use um, oh, well, you can't do anything from outside government. And I saw the Young Greens had an article out recently where they said, like, even from their own point of view in the last all, that they had some legislation passed that they'd built up, you know, networks for and pressure on. And they used that as an example of, well, you don't have to go into government to force change. But they also used the example of the water charges. And they said, well, if you look at look what happened with the water charges, there was the by-election in Dublin South West where Paul Force got elected for Sinn Féin to change their position to a harder position then there was the mass protests and that like that was all outside the doll that was like the streets undoing what the parliament did like you know um, and that's what the Greens have to look to like if they go in and they're having you know um, you know incremental change in policies on the climate for a whole number of years it's not really going to deal with 
what the science says actually has to be done when they could be involved in a movement outside that forces the issue onto the agenda in a real way. And you get a taste of where this government's going, this potential Fianna Fáil, Fianna Gael, Green government is going already with us like how the Green Party has given in on their kind of, one of their babies, the carbon tax, which is that they have this kind of weird kind of progressive version of the carbon tax where they tax, they do a carbon tax and they fairly redistribute the money uh, that's that's raised from it, the revenue. They just completely, yeah, cap and dividend. And they just completely just drop that entirely, just go with whatever Fine Gael wants to do with it, like. And it shows that, you know, Eamon Ryan, at least, and whoever else is negotiating for the Green Party is well prepared to, like, act as a, some kind of eco-austerity mudguard for the two big parties. And, you know, it really is, you know, you have this historic moment and you have someone over here that's, like, concerned being a minister, you know, and it's, like... You can you can be in a position now that Fine Gael and Fianna Fáil will be the first government ever formed by those two parties, a historic moment, and you can be on the outside pushing them and uh, and taking them on and building the movement against them and actually leading up to another stage in Irish history. Uh, and he's like, nah, I just want the ministerial position and you know some carbon taxes. <laughs> so, <laughs> you talk about lack of ambition. I think like to me and to an awful lot of other people that I've spoken to is they each want their claim to fame for five minutes. I want to be the Taoiseach for a while. I want to be the Taoiseach for a while. I want to be the Taoiseach for a while. It's like, um, give me the fame for five minutes. But like it, they haven't changed before and they're not going to change now. The Greens, Fianna Fáil never changed before. They had a chance. Labour, they're fecked now. Uh, if they rise again, I'll rise higher than they are. Hashtag rise. Uh, I do. So. <laughs> but I mean, with, with Eamon Ryan, like how he's held in so much regard by the Irish media is absolutely incredible. Like, you know. I don't understand like, it. He, I know. He he reminds me, like, it's because he's so earnest. He reminds me, like, of, like, a, a power hungry Ned Flanders, like, you know. <laughs> you know? <laughs> um, like, a really cynical power hungry. That's the title of the episode. <laughs> cynical power hungry Ned Flanders, like, you know. Um, and, like, if, if you think about it, like, so th- there was obviously the incident in the doll yesterday where uh, he, he says he misspoke and he, he, he said uh, he said the N-word as part, of a spe- as part of a speech. So there's that, like, you know, major mistake, like. Then a few weeks ago, like, during the middle of, the, like, the pandemic, what was his great contribution to it, like? South-facing window stills that were going to grow some, like, salads in, like, you know? The guy is, like, an empty vessel. And he's just like, he will bend to whatever way he's asked to bend, like, you know. I just don't, like, with most political party leaders, you can see how they got there and, like, how they had their support, you know. Like, Leo Varadkar, he's like, he's a little slime bag, you know, but he's got the slick suit feeling. People think he's a bit witty, you know. You can see he's got some charm to him uh, in, in a certain light, and you can see where where he gets his support from. And similar with, with most of the other leaders, like Mary Lou as well, very charismatic and so on. But you go to someone like Aaron Ryan, and you're like, what's going for him? Really? Like, there's nothing there. <laughs> He's like, I've never been impressed by him ever in my life. And I, I think I'm not even talking about politically with his politics. I mean, this turns his personality, his charisma, it has none. Uh, and I just, like, is that what, like, the establishment likes? Is that what the media likes? Is that what like, Green Party members like? I don't understand. Where is it coming from? I, I think a part of it is um, the Green Party was consistently pushed by the media to try to restore some sort of safe 
pair of opposition hands after the Green Party were wiped out. Um, and the result is that Eamon Ryan is in a lot of TV studios, a lot of radio studios, before shows, you're sitting there and you're chatting with the commentators and so on, and they get to, to know you. And, like, for, for all of um Sammy's character assassination there of Eamon Ryan, you know, Eamon Ryan's, like, a nice fella to talk to, you know? And, like, therefore they have a certain bond with him, they know he's a nice fella to talk to, and, and they feel that they have, like, you know, they, they develop some sort of common worldview. And also, obviously, Eamon Ryan shares their worldview in terms of basic like, kind of liberal uh, assumptions about the world, you know, against class struggle, against too radical change for small incremental change, being pragmatic. He shares all those. And so, like, they feel an affinity with him, which is why, like, you know, their response to this, you know, incredible thing, like, where he said the N-word in the doll. It's the first time it's been said in the doll for 16 years. I'm sure it was said in a worse context 16 years ago, unfortunately. But, like, their their entire response to it, or almost all of them, is like, people are calling Eamon Ryan a racist. There's not a racist bone in his, in his body. And, like, it's completely... I'm not sure if it's cynical or they're just misreading it. But, like, what happened is that people said, geez, that's really bad. You, you can't say that, you know? And it shows how out of touch he is. And that's that's the case. It is really bad. And people aren't saying, oh, Eamon Ryan is like, you know, a, a racist. That isn't what's actually being said. But they're responding as if there's a witch hunt to try and like mean that the lesson out of this is God weren't the Greens who criticise Eamon Ryan very mean to Eamon Ryan? Weren't the left-wing criticise Eamon Ryan very mean to Eamon Ryan? They're acting to defend him in quite a consistent way. But I think there's a whole bunch of like social and political factors that lie behind that. Yeah, that's just what... For for, for people that haven't uh, heard it, Paul, or anybody else that listened to I didn't get a chance to listen to it. In what context did he actually say it like? He, he, he did... So, so people have made the distinction between using the term and mentioning it, right? And I think there's, like, a fair, but there's not that much of it. But, like, it's still bad. So he wasn't, you know, he wasn't using it in anger or anything like that. He was quoting from, there was a good story in, I mean, it was a horrific story, but it was, you know, a moving story in the Irish Times about uh, a young black guy in Ireland who was called the N-word as a child. I mean, the first time he was called it, he's obviously been called it multiple times. And so he was referencing this story in the story the n-word is asterisked out and that's maybe partly because there was in the past a complaint made against the irish times when they didn't asterisk and people made the point you shouldn't be using this word so they asked they asterisked it out so Eamon ryan is recounting the story and is talking about the young man and then he and then you can see his eyes when you watch the video i wasn't in the doll at the time I, i hope that if i had been i think i would have had the presence of mind to be like whoa wait a minute, withdraw that, you can't be saying that. But you can see him think about it and then he decides to say it for whatever reason, for shock effect or whatever. That just goes back a bit though, it's like what I was saying earlier, that like these establishment people can say whatever they want and then they get criticised, it's like, oh, woe was me. Uh, and uh, again, it's just like really just atrocious behaviour. Uh, and it's it's telling in the Irish media establishment. They should all be ashamed of themselves, really, for, for just providing this cover for using the N-word or any kind of racial slurs, that the first thing they did was try to defend Eamon Ryan instead of actually try to explain why using the N-word is bad and actually the pain it causes to black people in particular, but also people of colour generally who like know that it's a bad thing as well, feel a special affinity for, for the pain that causes. So I think it is really just like a, an indictment of, of the media establishment, which is actually... 
I think almost exclusively white. I don't know any people, persons of color in, in the Irish media, actually. I'm sure there's one or two who are in relatively minor roles, but like it's it's really quite bad. It wasn't. He thought this was going to be one of these like statesman-like speeches where he came in, he said this word, and like he brought the hard-hitting reality of like racism into the doll. But he didn't. He did the exact opposite, you know what I mean? Like, you know? Uh, and it just shows he's tone deaf. And I think, like, he's a walking disaster, the guy is. like. Let's let, let's come back, not necessarily to Eamon Ryan and the character assassination that's gone on here today. Um, but 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 certainly we'll come back to the, the programme for government um, uh, talks probably in the, in the next uh, week or so. And we might wrap it up there. Um, thanks, everybody, for contributing. Um, thanks, everybody, for listening. If you enjoy the show or find yourself in some way partial to the show, then please do make sure that you subscribe uh, to get the weekly uh, episodes when they come out. You can subscribe on Apple, on Google Podcasts, on Stitcher, on Android Pod. So there's loads of podcast apps. Any good quality podcast app, you'll find left inside. So do subscribe there. And all of our back catalogue of episodes, of which we now have quite a few, I think this is episode 8, so we have seven previous episodes are available on the Rise website lettucerise.ie forward slash podcast and share, share, share thanks a lot everybody, goodbye bye bye you wake up and your head's fucked you stick your trousers on and your last bit of makeup your last coat button falls away flowing through life another day one shoelace bigger than the other people in the bus